The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening. Welcome once again. Um, I'm Kevin Griffin, and this is uh, Buddhism 12 Step Series, week three uh, of five. And so this week we're going to get into the middle steps, starting step four, and see how far we get this evening. And before we start sitting, I just wanted to um, talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing here and, um, and how this might work. I was talking to a friend of mine today who's a therapist, and um, he's been a therapist for a long time, and he's kind of uh, disillusioned with some of the aspects of of therapy, particularly sort of uh, diagnosing people and labeling them as having a disease and then sort of treating them and um, sort of giving the impression that you're going to heal them in some way. And, and so I was talking with him about um, this, uh, having some, some of the same experience as a meditation teacher and, and was kind of thinking about trying to um, get clear about what it is that I think I am doing or what I think I can offer. Um, I know that uh, when I first saw a psychiatrist at quite a young age, I thought that he was going to do something to make me feel better, and uh, he never did. N- neither, neither did any psychiatrist or therapist. And when I came to meditation, I also thought that the teachers were going to do something for me, or even that Buddhism was going to do something for me. And. Uh, um, it's, you know, something probably somewhat the same with, with recovery. Maybe you go to a program thinking that the program's going to do something for you. Um, but the fact is that you have to do the work in all these cases. You, you have to do something for you. What this therapist said to me today is that he tries to get people to establish a therapeutic relationship with themselves. An interesting turn of phrase. So, um, now, you know, I, I was in, and I think I may have mentioned this, uh, I know I mentioned it somewhere I was teaching recently. I was in L.A. a couple of weeks ago, and I, and I actually am one of the few Northern Californians who likes Los Angeles or parts of it. Um, at least I liked it when I was there, lived there. And, um, but one of the things that I heard come out of the mouth of several people in the kind of exchanges with them was, I came here today hoping to get. And it's, it sounded very kind of materialistic to me, which is, you know, I could put L.A. in that box, you know. Um, and so, uh, so today I was thinking about what, well, what is it that I think someone can get? So. Uh, these are the things that it occurred to me. Um, 
that I feel like you can get from coming to a class like this. Uh, the first thing is some tools. Might sound familiar, a toolbox. Um, which, with which, of course, you are going to do some work. Uh, and the, another thing that I think you can get is some inspiration. You know, some feeling like, wow, you know, this is worth doing. Because if you're going to pick up the tools, you have to have a reason to do it. And the inspiration uh, is, is part of that. So I think we get inspired. I know I get inspired when I hear teachers that, um, you know, are speaking to me, speaking to my heart. Um, and I, I, I stopped there for a while, and then I thought, well, no, I think you can get some insight. But it's kind of like a teacher can take you, if you are at E, then a teacher can help you maybe get to F, you know. Whereas kind of, I wanted a teacher to take me from A to Z, right? But, uh, you know, if you're not already, if you're not ready to see it, you know, you can be shown the highest wisdom and you're not going to, understand it, right? You have to be prepared, which is another reason why it's important, to, well, not another reason, it's a reason why I think we can take some credit for our own insights. And one of the things that happens is you read a book or you hear something and you go, wow, that book was so amazing or that teacher was so amazing. But what made it amazing was that you were ready to, you were at E, and you were ready to see F, you know. If you were at A, it wouldn't have happened. So you have prepared yourself, right, for that insight. So again, you do the work. You do the, and, and someone else can help you to take the next step. But there's not much, much more. Um, and, you know, and I say all that sort of more for myself <laughs> than for you, because sometimes I feel this re- responsibility. I was preparing for today going, oh, what can I do tonight that's going to really help these people? You know, what can I do that will really make them get it or that they'll think they got it, you know, that they'll feel really good at the end of the night. You know, all the stuff that we want to do for each other when we're in uh, these different roles we have of service. Um, and so I felt kind of burdened by that. And I was taking this long walk and uh, called this, this friend who I, who I, I talk with regularly as a support. Um, and I kind of arrived at that and it was a great relief. It was a great relief. And uh, so I'm looking forward to this evening. And I think I'm gonna write a blog on that topic I think it's a good topic. Uh, I'll, I'll try to write that in the next couple of days. I told you I have a blog, didn't I? Did I, t- I just started a blog a couple of weeks ago. So Kevin Griffin Blogspot, that's pretty, I have a link to it on my website too. So if you're interested. Um, so. So I'm going to um, just make one suggestion tonight in terms of your meditation. Uh, 
if you haven't tried this before, and, and this relates to the idea of meditation as inventory, and that is to uh, pay attention to what your thoughts in and try to categorize them as thoughts of desire or aversion. Did I say anything about that? I did? Oh, good. I'm repeating myself, how unusual. Um, Okay, what did I say? Homework. Homework. That was the homework. Good. So we're ahead of the head of the game. So so we'll have an opportunity to practice the homework or remember to do the homework, as the case may be. Or remember that you gave the homework. (laughs) Oh, yes. So let's begin with this bell. having a sense of arriving. Here you are in your body, in this building, in this space. Your mind may be somewhere else, but we know your body is here. And if you can join your mind with your body, then you will have fully arrived in this place and in this moment. So just seeing what's happening in this body right now. Seeing how the posture is, if it's comfortable, if it needs adjustment. How are the shoulders? How's the alignment of the head and the neck with the shoulders? The Buddha used the word noble to describe how we might practice the Noble Eightfold Path. If we can bring that kind of attitude of nobility into our posture, How would that look? 
And along with that nobility, seeing if you can release any tension, letting the belly be soft. <coughs> letting the face relax. Feeling the weight of the body sitting on the chair or cushion. That earthiness, density. So this awareness of the body helps to center us, helps us to be calm, present, open to to your mood or any strong emotion that you're carrying If there is a strong mood or emotion, it will certainly color your meditation. You may be able to let it go as you're focusing on the breath, or you may not. We can only make our best effort. We can't control the results of that effort.
if we're ignoring or trying to push away an unpleasant mind state or emotion, we'll really never get quiet. We'll never get present. Because all our energy will be wrapped up in that aversive activity. It's more helpful, ultimately, to simply open to strong emotions, to turn to them, breathe and feel in the body, in the heart, in the mind. See if you can discover what that means. What does it mean to feel an emotion? Starting with the body. Now, in order to have something to ground you and to bring you back to the present moment, you can start to follow the breath. Feeling the sensations of breathing at the nostrils or the belly. Attention to the breath has a natural calming effect. Sometimes just that tension is enough, or that attention is enough. To help us let go of thoughts and troubling feelings. Other times the thoughts or feelings are not so easy to release. We can only make an effort, not a struggling, grasping effort, a gentle effort. Guiding the mind, inclining the mind towards the breath.
when you notice the mind has wandered this evening, just glance at the thought and see if it carries a mark of desire or a mark of aversion. It may be clear right away, or it may not. If it's not clear, you can just let that go. If it's clear, you can make that mental note, desire, desire, and then come back to the breath, or aversion, aversion, or whatever word seems to suit or describe that thought. Not getting caught up in what words you use or whether it's really this or that. Just taking that one glance, that one moment to see if you can know easily whether there's a quality of wanting, of desire, or of not wanting, of aversion. you'll find that a wide variety of thoughts can fall into one or the other of these categories. Just observing and noting in this way, like a scientist, somebody researching your mind. Not judging or analyzing. Not trying to figure out or blame. Just observing, making notes.
keep coming back, trying to find that balance of calm alertness, vigilant surrender.
So we will now enter into the next ritual of asking questions, if you have any. Or I'd certainly like to hear any comments about anyone who tried to work with the uh, polarities of desire and aversion. In LA, they're not shy like this. There's someone. And there's someone else. You gonna trust me with this thing? <laughs> Thanks. So far. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's It seemed to me like they were kind of the same to me. Uh -huh. If I desire to be rich, I'm afraid to be poor uh -huh. at the same time. That to me anyway was sort of a something new to me. Uh-huh, yeah. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Mine was actually the same, only it wasn't nearly that deep. Mine was just as simple as an itch. You know, the desire to scratch something and not liking it to itch. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, yeah. they were very, very closely aligned. Yeah, yeah. Well, I encourage you to uh, see if you can keep looking, because it's, it's worth um, getting more familiar. And, and it's true that you can define them as uh, many things as simply, uh, as both, uh, contained in both, uh, as, as your examples uh, show. But we can also kind of parse them out and, and um, start to explore them a little bit. Did anybody notice any thoughts that weren't either desire or aversion. I did, but I was surprised I didn't. I noticed it. And what was it? I was constantly obsessing with either aversion or desire thoughts. And I realized during the, during the meditation, I didn't realize how much of an unconscious way of thinking that my thinking is. It's reversion or desire, reversion or desire, reversion or desire, eat, don't eat, sleep, don't sleep. You know, yeah. it's, it's either this or that. And at one point, I had some thought like, oh, you know, something non judgmental. I thought, where did that thought come from? <laughs> Gosh. Doing, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. That, was, that was what you had said. If it didn't, if it didn't uh, have a version of desire, just kind of let it go. And I was surprised to find it seemed like a really an odd arrival. Yeah. And otherwise, because my meditation began with a big desire, thought about me and my dad kind of a thing, you know. So I think, anyway. What about being your dad? I missed that. Well, uh, what, one time I had a major insight when I was young, when I was having a meditation session some years ago, and um, it came to me that I was with my parents and I was 18 years old again. And I was driving my ice cream truck that I did when I was 18. Mm, good job. And, um, the thought that came to me was, 
Dad, have I been good enough? Please accept me. Please um, say I'm okay. You know, uh, recognize me. I'm trying my best. Yeah. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And uh, just it's a constant. It's just one of my story issues, uh -huh. namely feeling approved of by, uh, yeah. in this case, my father. Mm -hmm. anyway, that was the opening uh, opening volley in my session just now. Yeah, so, uh -huh. great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, in in my case, I found um, an instance where I was thinking of another person and wishing the best for her. Mm -hmm. And um, because she's in a real bad place. Mm. And then right after that, I thought of page 449, the uh, paragraph on acceptance, mm -hmm. because um, I talked to her a little bit about the fact that she didn't want to be where she was in any part of her life. And so I had talked to her a little bit about acceptance. So I guess I was kind of going back into my story about what I had <clears throat> said to her, but I also, when I thought about the acceptance, felt very serene and mm -hmm. did not feel a tug. Yeah. and was able to pull myself back into just being present yeah. for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, you know, I've, I think it's helpful to um, be aware in this way, certainly, um, first of all, because the Buddha kind of said, you know, this is the problem. It's our desire and our aversion, I mean, it, that, that really cause our suffering. So that's uh, one good reason to start to notice that quality when it shows up in our thoughts. Um, and of course, it's also directly related to addiction and and um, I think that um, addicts in the general sense um, are particularly susceptible to these two energies these two forms of thought or emotion and um, so really getting familiar with them accepting them opening to them um, learning to be not as reactive to them. Uh, you know, I'd have to say that anybody who's working a program is already doing that, right? I mean, you can't, sort of can't, uh, by definition, stop using or drinking or whatever the addiction is without um, letting go, to some extent, of desire, because you're not acting on it anymore. Um, and, and so that hopefully reinforces the motivation for this particular work because you know we see how transforming that is to let go of a big desire like that so if when we start to watch it on a more detailed way you start to see how many actions and how many emotions and how many thoughts and how many words are uh, expressions of or reactions to the feeling of wanting or not wanting then um, we see how pervasive that is, and, and we, it gives us you know, the opportunity then to, to be free of suffering in that moment. Since the cause of suffering is, is desire, by definition, the end of suffering is the end of desire. That doesn't mean that it won't start up right away the next moment, 
But we get to have that moment of relief, of release, of stress-free. So, yeah. I, I was, the thought of aversion and desire, and then the thought came, what does he mean by that? And then I became aware that I was having joy. And um, then uh, I realized I don't desire, I haven't desired it and it isn't an aversion. It just is. Yeah. And then I had flashes of, of different things of, um, of, of, of my brother and um, who's passed. Um, mm. But just, um, I don't think I've ever been right there with the joy. Mm. And anyway, that was my experience. Nice. Well, good. Um, I think this is a, as I probably said last week, <laughs> um, a uh, a kind of you know moment by moment Buddhist version of an inventory to see what's happening in our minds right now and how we can characterize it and it, you know one of the ways that this is uh, uh, something else that this this does is that after a while when we see how uh, pervasive these tendencies are and how, um, as you said, they don't, you know, it's not so much that we're, they come in uninvited, they just show up. That uh, you kind of get that idea that this isn't really you. And uh, because w one of the difficulties with, uh, and with inventory is the feeling that these are my character defects or these are my flaws or my failings. And that's one of the reasons, of course, that it's so hard to write inventory and to face that. And, and um, when we look at our experience through that lens of just uh, these are just types of thoughts, categories of thoughts, um, you know, we see that this is, we're no different from anyone else. There's no emotion or no thought that, or type of thought that any of us can have that hasn't been had probably by virtually every other human being. So, um, so when we do that kind of inventory, we can kind of, it becomes less personal. Right? We don't have to take it personally. We can see it clearly, see the Dharma in front of us without it then rebounding back on us, us and causing us to go into some funk around that uh, thing that we see about ourselves. Oh, I am so this, or I am so that. Um, which doesn't mean that we aren't responsible. Uh, but it means that it doesn't define us. So, uh, uh, it almost feels like it's too soon to take a break. Uh, maybe that's just me. Um, 
I'm just thinking about, uh, you know, the, uh, w my plan this evening is to give a shorter talk. It couldn't be any longer than my talk last week, or we would be into extra innings. Um, but, uh, you, you know, actually, uh, what I'd like to do for a few minutes is, because we didn't have time to talk about the higher power uh, issue, particularly last week, because we ran out of time, uh, just see if there's any stuff that's left over from that, any uh, uh, questions or troubling issues around, you know, step three uh, that, that people um, would like to bring up. Yeah. Um, step three for me has been a huge, huge stepping stone, or a stumbling block, we'll put it that way. Um, I don't like the words as, as um, done in AA. That, well, no, I just don't like the words in general. I don't like the idea of giving up my life and my will. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. it annoys me. It puts a great deal of resentment and a lot of resistance. Um, so I've read your book and I've reread that chapter a couple times, trying to figure out a better set of words to use. Because I understand the intent to some extent. Mm -hmm. I do understand the intent. The words have just been a real block for me. Um, so last week, after reading the chapter over the weekend and then hearing, um, sitting here uh, last week, it really helped a lot to put some different words into the action of doing that step with the intent of doing it, but using different words to do it. Oh. it. It helped a lot. Good. You know, I I certainly can appreciate your discomfort and and um, and I think it's you're doing exactly the right thing, which is let's figure out what what's supposed to happen here, and then see if there's a way I can understand that that's workable for me, because because um, I do think that uh, you know you're you're looking at language that comes out of a particular time. Uh, and a particular culture, which is really past. I mean, it's, you know, 70 years or so uh, since that, I think it was 1939 that was first published, wasn't it? So we're, we're looking at exactly uh, 70 years this year. I suppose somebody is celebrating that. Um, and not that we shouldn't, but I just mean, I'm not big into celebrating stuff like that. Um, I, if I can just add, I yeah, mean, do please. appreciate that the Bill and Bob gave a lot of latitude, as yeah. much as they could yeah. at the time. Yeah. I give them a great deal of credit for as much latitude as they gave. And it, it gives a lot of freedom uh, to a great many people to, to work through the steps. I mean, yeah. I truly appreciate that after, uh, given their background and the, and the time that they were working from. Yeah. Um, it was still a problem for me. Yeah, and and I think that I I'm glad you said that too because I I think that they they did 
I think they did their best, and I, and I think that they did enough to, to give us that latitude. And, and if they hadn't, I'd, I'm not sure the program would have ex even survived. Um, and, and um, you know, at one point I went through the big book and found every reference to God or higher power I could and just wrote them all down just to see all the different ways they try to express this idea. And you can see that they're, they're really trying to come at it from a lot of angles. Um, and, and they also can't escape their own cultural and religious uh, karma, you know. And, and, th and they shouldn't, you know. Uh, it wouldn't be authentic if they, if they were trying to do that. Um, uh, so, I mean, I think that, you know, the phrase, uh, you know, I was talking with someone at a treatment center recently who really had trouble with this phrase, turning it over. And, and that phrase in particular, I think is not, I certainly don't understand that as, uh, or at least I certainly, at this point, I don't understand that as meaning that I'm giving it to some, someone else. Uh, and, and I guess I've worked with this and been writing about it and teaching about it for so long that it's really just um, mutated, the step has mutated in my mind into uh, something that, because as I say that, they're turning over, well, gee, I guess you can't, it's hard to not think of it in that way, but, but um, I just totally see it as my really turning away from my self-centered and ego-driven reactivity um, and turning towards, you know, the guidance of the Dharma, which is, someone g gave me that as an acronym for God. Um, someone in Cleveland, actually. Um, and, and I wasn't even thinking of that as I said it. I just realized, when I said it, I realized, oh, that's, that's that acronym. Um, but that's very much what I think of it as. Uh, just, it's not, it's not nearly as much turning over as it is turning towards something and turning away from something else. Um, but yeah, uh, the, you know, I, I, I think it's, I mean, one of the things I really enjoy is stepping back a little bit from the steps and seeing what this movement is. You know, how do I change? That's the question. I, that's, to me, that's like the central question, both of practice and of recovery and of all healing work. How do I change? And the, as I talked about when I came at the beginning of the evening tonight, you know, there's this hope and this illusion that someone, and be it, you know, a person or a God, is going to change me for me so that I don't have to do it. And so far, I haven't seen that happen. And, and so then I have to go, okay, how do I change? And what is this language talking about? How can I understand this language in a way that fits with my understanding of how I change? And uh, simply put, how I believe I change is by the, I change my karma, you know, uh, which means that I change my actions, because the word karma just means 
action. So I change my karma by changing my actions. And actions include thoughts. Thoughts are a kind of action. Thoughts, words, deeds, you know, all of those. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't control all of those things, especially my thoughts. But I can, you know, make these effort, use right effort to shift things, to incline the mind in different ways. Yeah. Um, I'm John. I'm a Buddhist. Um, Hi, John. <laughs> there is hope. <laughs> What'd you say? <clears throat> I think these ideas of surrender and higher power are very subtle and intertwined, and, and I've been struggling and, and uh, thinking about them for a few years. I think the first surrender is step one. I mean, you can't, I couldn't control my drinking. Well, gee, I thought I could, but couldn't. So what does that say about me? Something's bigger than me. Something's more powerful mm -hmm. than me. And at the same time, I had one of those uh, mini experiences that uh, of, uh, oh, my God, I don't know what to do now. I'm helpless and hopeless. And I had the, I had the feeling of surrender, which, which they, they talk about a lot in the... Um, the notion of the higher power, you know, uh -uh, I'm, I can't do it. But what I did do, what I found tonight, it was interesting because I've, I've got a lot of shame around my um, disease. And so there I was, I was meditating and I was thinking all these shameful thoughts. And I'd say, okay, that's shameful. And I'm going down that shame route. I'm going down that shame route. And then another one came up and I said, hmm wait a minute, something happened. I didn't go down the shame route. So there's something about the spaciousness of the meditation that permits that maybe to happen. Mm -hmm. And then I had the co-occurring thought, who am I to judge myself? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So that was the, you know, Yeah. I'm just a lowly, you know, maybe some the, there's, a, there's something bigger out there. You know, it's very self-centered to judge oneself like that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, there was, uh, I was listening to NPR on the way down. Did anybody listen to All Things Considered tonight? They were talking about trying, you know, trying to find spirituality in the brain and how you know, people with certain epileptic conditions, and this is one of those things that's been known for a long time, you know, trigger these sort of mystical experiences. And another one of those looking in the wrong place things that 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 somehow if we can prove that spiritual experiences are only in your brain then we'll, that'll prove that they aren't spiritual I, so what spiritual is is some magical thing that's out there in the ether and it's like you know but if it's in your brain then it's not spiritual that's just absurd to me I mean that's just a, a miss definition of spirituality. You know, spirituality doesn't, isn't, it's not about a place or where something is. There's, you know, there's, you know, if you're not convinced by my talk last week that there are higher pow powers higher, greater than you that you can turn yourself over to, then I, I have to throw up my hands because... <laughs> I'm totally convinced. I've convinced myself. Uh, you know, it's just so clear that, I mean, just start with the list, you know. 
karma is more powerful than me and that if I'm in harmony with it, if I work with it, which is not my instinct, my instinct is to be selfish and act in my own, you know, immediate pleasure interest. If I stop that and I work with it, that things unfold differently. Uh, Impermanence is more powerful than me. Anyway, I'm not going to go through the same talk again. But, uh, uh, yeah, let's get one more comment. You've made a survey of... Of, of um, interpretations of a power greater than myself, of um, yeah. being a, a, a Catholic, yeah. um, and having that vision, that God that didn't care for me, but cared for everybody else, mm-hmm. and then coming to the place of recovery, which I know was definitely the prayer my family, they're the, they're, the, they're the real, the real deal. You know, they, they're just these unbelievable human beings. And um, they prayed. And, and in our family, we talk about praying. And I always felt on the outside of it, though. And then when recovery took place for me, and it was this gradual process, I knew that something was really working here. This mm-hmm. was unbelievable. How it all, you know, when I look back over the years, how the pieces have come together. And then the surveys that I've gone to, the different, hearing you. You know, you're part of it. You're part of enhancing that, making that decision that I do on a regular basis. And what it's done is given me the ability to share with anybody. It just happens of who I am, who I am, or why I got sober. You know, that I didn't have a lot of red flags. All I had was I didn't know how I got to bed at night and didn't know how I woke up in the morning, you know. Mm. It was very simple. But I did have a turning point that rocketed me to the point that I've never felt that much fear in my life since. Mm. And so um, I'm open, which I've never been before over the years since I've been sober um, to really be open to other people's interpretation of a power of God, a Buddha um, but to be able to feel that the softness and the gentleness that I always wanted to feel and today I have that mm-hmm. fleeting, fleeting, fleeting yeah. but it's, it's there mm-hmm. and um, and when I meditate, the thoughts that come through, it's just, that's it, just thoughts. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't, I don't take that, that next step of reacting to mm-hmm. it, which I loved, because it got me going into the whole disease process, yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I just, you know, it's like coming here. I used to come here to AA, this building. Mm-hmm. And here I'm... Um, and we're on the other side of the building. The other, we used to have me- meetings on that side. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's being open. Um, and, and to me, that's what this power greater than myself is. Mm-hmm. It's uh, unbelievable, mm-hmm. you know. And 
I think the other thing too for me is to go anywhere and just be there. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm real grateful. I'm real yeah. grateful for the for the steps. Yeah. Freedom. Thank you. All right. Well, with that, let's take a short little stretch, etc. Break, and we'll ring a bell in about five minutes and move forward. At least, at least. Somebody probably has it on there. At least we got rid of that evil Boston team, so we don't have to. Watch it. You never know Sorry. where people are from. I know. I, you know. I, I'm. I'm. You know. I'm from the East Coast too. So, and I actually lived in Boston. And, and, you know. Everything is green. What? Everything's green. Celtics. Celtics. Everything's green. Yeah. <laughs> Including the beer. So, for the for those of you who may. I don't think that's on. Now it is. Okay. She had the power. Yeah, okay. yeah a higher power. Um, so for those of you who are, are new here tonight or did, weren't here last week, um, I was going to mention how the center and the teaching works. There's a, a box right by the exit with two slots, one for donations for uh, the teacher, Kevin, so that um, to support him in... Um, doing his teaching. And then there's another slot uh, for operations do donations or Donna to run this center. We do everything on a, a donation basis. So I wanted to make you all aware of the, those donation boxes. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Um, so this is what I plan to do. I want to talk about the process of moving from step three, step four, and through seven fairly briefly, and then do an exercise where you guys talk to each other. Um, so uh, one of the things that that's, I've realized over the, in the last couple of years as I thought about this process, particularly step three, that in a way, when I look at step three, it seems like, well, if there's a God out there who's going to fix me, why isn't step three just the end of the process? Turn my will over to the care of God, done. You know? And so it's interesting that after that comes this inventory, which is really kind of, can be kind of grueling. I mean, it's kind of tough. It's, it's really when we get into the, in a lot of ways, the, the, the real work of the steps. And... Um, so it's another uh, argument for the, the fact that the God they're talking about in these steps is not a magical God who's gonna, who either strikes you sober or strikes you, you know, um, spiritual and holy and wonderful. But that rather what's happening is that in step three, we're making a decision to live differently. And when we do that, it's like we have a new worldview you know, a view which is moral and which seeks to be in harmony with the way things are, with the Dharma. And that all is well and good to make that decision to turn our will and our lives over. But I think that for most of us, certainly, that decision actually puts us face to face with the reality of who we are and who we have been 
That is to say, it puts us face to face with our karma, which has not been going in that direction. Our karma has been going in another direction. Now, we've begun to change our karma by taking step one and, and stopping acting on our addiction. But all of that energy, all of that personality and uh, conditioning, which was moving in that self-destructive and destructive direction, is not changed just by taking step one or by taking step three. So I would say that the steps four through nine are when we actually try to change our karma. Judith Regeer, who's a great Zen teacher in, in St. Paul, uh, talks about interrupting the karmic flow, which is a great phrase. So, so I think that when we, when we so, so my view of it now is that step three just puts us up against that conditioning and step four then is our beginning to unravel that, those, all those habits uh, and condi- all that conditioning, that karma. So we write that out and then we speak it in order to really um, fully take responsibility. I mean, you know how it is if you think something or you kind of write it in your diary. But when you actually tell someone, you know, this has a huge uh, effect. And, and of course, one of the great effects is, is, again, to take it out of the personal and make it less personal because you share it with someone else and the reflection we often get back is, oh, yeah, I did that too, or I've heard about things like that. It's, it's, you know, it, it, we, we stop feeling quite so uniquely flawed. So in a way, step five helps us to put this monster into perspective. You know, this thing, oh, my God, me, oh. Oh, okay, well. Um, it's actually um, the big book or in this case, the little book. Um, Really, uh, uh, you know, every time I pick up this literature, which isn't very often, I confess, um, I discover stuff that that I haven't seen before. And what I discovered here in looking at Step 5, because I was teaching about Step 5 at Spirit Rock this past weekend, was that there's a whole set of promises in step five that I never really thought of it before. Um, If I can find it. Uh, Okay, all right. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted would be the first promise. We can look the world in the eye. Another promise. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Mm-hmm. Kind of sweet. I mean, that, that's when I, when I read that, I was like, oh, this is really starting to sound like the promises. What we call the promises. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's Darwin. He's... Really starting to feel connected with him. Uh, sorry, that's, that was inappropriate. Okay. Uh, we, but I love this phrase. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. 
The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, capital letters, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. One of the many definitions I mentioned of, of God that's in the big book. So that's quite a set of promises, really. That's, uh, I mean, I've heard it before, I've read it before, but I never quite put it together as, oh, you could do this as a set of promises, too. Um, and, and I think the essence of it to me is that idea that you start to have a spiritual experience. Um, so in a way, when this step says we, you know, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, step five, that, that admitting to God is a little bit difficult to comprehend if we're talking about the Dharma, how you admit to the Dharma. Um, I kind of try to do that in my new book, but I, I'm, it's not very convincing. Um, but the idea that what this, the way this step really relates to God is that it connects us with God. Um, and that, may, that kind of resonates more for me. Um, in any case, in, this pro, in terms of this process of unraveling karma, the, there's this review of past karma in step four, and then there's the sharing of it, putting it in perspective, um, and all the promises that come along with that, the healing that comes with that. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, and then step six is the, is the preparing to let go or becoming entirely ready to have the defective character removed. And I think that step five is actually the beginning of that in, in a very clear way. And, and very much those words let us know that. Um, and and the, the understanding that we can't change if there isn't this willingness. Um, you know, and this relates to the Eightfold Path, uh, which starts with right view, which is seeing the truth of the way things are. So in, in the Buddhist teachings, that's seeing the truth of the Four Noble Truths, seeing the truth of the Law of Karma, but in the personal sense, right view is also seeing the truth of us, of our karma. So the fourth step is a kind of right view process for us from Buddhist perspective. And then what follows right view, once we see the way things are, then we develop right intention. I've been talking about this with various people, uh, particularly this research team, trying to ex talk to them about how change happens. Um, so, you know, I talked, started the evening talking about it. And again, it's, it's something that I'm very intrigued by. How do we change? So the, the Eightfold Path, when looked at it in this way, you have to see the way things are. And, and really, you have to see your own suffering, I think, is the essence of that. And then, and see the process by which suffering happens, which is again contained in seeing the Four Noble Truths. We see the suffering, we see the cause of suffering. And then we have to develop the intention to change. So that's the second 
aspect of the Eightfold Path. There's the seeing clearly, and then there's, okay, now what? Now I have to intend to change, which is exactly what step six is. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I'm ready now to change. I'm willing to change. I have the intention to change. And then step seven, of course, is we humbly ask God to remove our uh, these defects of character, shortcomings, or we're getting them mixed up, which is which and which step. Now, again, this language is so biblical that I think this is where the steps get. And, and this is where Ajahn Buddhadasa, who you know, I never met, and I feel a great um, fondness and, and just intimacy with, uh, you know, a, a, bro, a brotherhood. Uh, I don't know. I, just, I don't want to make it sexist, but, you know, I just feel connected with him more and more. So he, you know, he did this series of lectures in the late 60s in, in Thailand. There was, he was invited to give these lectures called, the, I think, the Sinclair Thompson Memorial Lectures. And Sinclair Thompson was a, was a, a preacher, a, a Christian preacher who took, you know, went to Thailand and kind of got interested in Buddhism and wanted them to be able to talk to each other. Anyway, that, uh, and, and so that's, it, uh, the book is out of print, but um, here's what he says. He's talking about Christianity and Buddhism, and he's reflecting on the passage from the Bible that says, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now that, to me, is step seven. It sounds so much like step seven. It's from Matthew 7, 7. <laughs> Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So this is very typical, you know, and when, when I was growing up, you know, when I would hear this kind of language, I thought, okay, I, I just have to ask God. You know. Well, this is what he says. From the Buddhist point of view, this is a matter of karma. We must act. That is, we must ask, seek, and knock for God to be moved. Mere faith is not enough. Even if one sits down to pray, it still will not be enough. In this context, the word ask implies an earnest effort to bring about a desired result. That is to say, we beseech the law of karma through our action and not merely with words. We beseech the law of karma. So the law of karma... If we're going to say that's God, if you can swallow that. We beseech the law of karma through our action and not merely with words. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. It doesn't mean that there's some being out there that we ask to remove. It's, it's this uh, you know, biblical language, which, I mean, when he says we must act, that is we must ask, seek, and knock, I hear what he means, that, that there's, a, there's action. I always heard, saw the, the ask part, but the seeking and the knocking, there's, that's not just sitting around. You, know? you can say asking is sitting around, but seeking and knocking are not passive. Um, so that then really starts to make sense then. How we change is that we, we, cha- we change our actions and, and all the ways 
that that implies, again, internally, how we react or react to something is our actions as well. So our emotional, even our emotional life can be shifted with awareness, with mindfulness. Mindfulness is a higher power. When applied along with right view, right intention, right effort, concentration, right action, morality, right speech, when we apply all these things together, the Eightfold Path, then our defective character can be removed or lessened or ameliorated. And of course, that's what we always hear. The 12 steps are a program of action. Right? It's a program of action. And it's, you know, tells us in the big book how, you know, all of our attempts to, you know, of self-knowledge availed us nothing. You know, all of that. that. Trying to think our way out of it. Trying to fall down on our knees and pray. It had to, there, you know, that moment, even the moment that, that, uh, Bill Wilson describes falling out of bed and, and the light and his shattering experience. You can see that there was karmic actions that led up to that that didn't happen out of the blue. I mean, the years of his struggle and trying to recover, the fruit, and that was the fruition of that. It wasn't some, uh, you know, it wasn't really a, a bolt from the blue. It, it was sometimes that insight comes in what appears to be sudden. You know. uh, but the, the karmic groundwork has always been laid beforehand. And the thing is that true insight, a transformative insight like that, which is fairly rare, is so startling that it always seems to come out of nowhere. Uh, but it, it never does. And so as we're doing this trudging and as we're doing this, uh, you know, spiritual experience of the educational variety and, and the, the work of practice and when it doesn't seem like much is happening, this, we're, we're partly just laying the groundwork for that to happen. Uh, and we're also gradually changing in ways that we don't always see. So, I want to give you guys a chance to interact tonight. And um, I have a couple of a couple of questions you can explore. So, um, uh, I think uh, uh, we'll do dyads uh, tonight as well. Uh, I think that's what we did a couple weeks ago. Um, so I'll just. Uh, um, review um, the mindful listening and mindful speech guidelines to when you're listening to try to really let go of your thoughts of your interrupting thoughts and just um, let your partner be the focus of your meditation and really drop into your heart and listen from there and this and when you're speaking really try to speak from the heart just um, to really 
um, allow for the possibility of some new insight to arise in this moment rather than trying to dredge up uh, what you already know or what you've thought about before or what you think someone might be impressed by. I'm sure none of you would do that. Um, so, um, so I'll ask you to um, just get with a partner now. So choose someone to work with. Turn, sit with them close together, face each other. And then I'll give you some topics to explore. Okay, so um, you're going to make me ring the bell. Well, what did I do with the stick? Oh, there it is. You kids, you just start talking to each other. It's just so irresponsible. Um, so, uh, actually, I'm going to get into something in a kind of a practical uh, exploration tonight. Um, since you know, I've kind of been putting this focus on the idea of actions as being what makes us change. Um, just uh, um, one question is, what actions might help you right now to bring about change, the change that you would like to have in your life? Um, And I guess I'll, no, there's a secondary question, but um, I'll, I'll just tell you what it is, and I'm not sure. I'm, it might kind of fit in, and it might not. So, which is what's the relationship between awareness and change for you? That seems like it's overly complicating it. Let's go back to the first one. And just stick with that. <laughs> so, what actions? Do you can you uncover maybe that that you could take in order to change in the ways you'd like to change and consider actions on all the levels, both you know mental, you know, so it can have to do with thoughts and um, as well as just the things you do in your in your life. So decide who's going to speak first, and we'll do this. One person will speak at a time, and. Uh, Three or four minutes, I'll ring a bell.
So just um, close your eyes for a moment, come back into silence for a moment. Just checking in with the energy that comes with talking and listening, breathing and releasing that. And now switching roles, the speaker becomes the listener and the listener becomes the speaker. What actions? do you need to take to change?
So you can thank your partner and uh, return to the group. So is there anything uh, anyone would like to share on the group level uh, about that exercise? Over here. I noticed uh, when I was sharing with my partner, then when it was my turn to just listen, I caught myself and I observed a lot of things about my own self, my desire to interrupt and ask questions, which I didn't do. And I just listened, because I really didn't have any answers. Mm. 
Just listen. I learned a lot more about myself when I just didn't say anything. Uh-huh. That's all. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when we refrain from that and kind of catch what it was we were going to say. And you kind of go, eh, yeah. The world can live without that. I'm not in charge. <laughs> You're not in charge. Thank you. So, so to pile on, pile on that, so right after I done sharing, he goes, I could see it just about to burst. He was going to say, and I think that's, and then he caught himself. And I was like, and you think it's what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, where's the ego satisfied? Where's the stroke now? Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, I was like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get it. But it was really good. Thank you. Good. That's great. It's interesting. This is a much safer place than I thought it was going to be. Mm, right. I'm not that I had a sense no, that it was dangerous, but right. Uh, it's not a meeting. <laughs> it's not a. Me- it's not a meeting, and a meeting is a very safe place. Um, Can't be. But it was interesting because there has been something that's really been bothering me for the last couple of days regarding a friendship that I've been definitely working into a resentment. And (laughs) I was working hard at it. It was really getting up there. And I didn't expect to talk about it tonight. Hmm. But I did. And um, in fact, when you were discussing the homework, or the classwork, uh, the thought did cross my mind, I'm not talking about that for Pete's sakes. But I did find myself doing that. So the, the, the safety of the steps, I think, and the process mm-hmm. that you learn in AA um, is, is part of this process also. And I think that that provides a safe place for a lot of learning. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yes, I believe it. Um, I have a Buddhist friend who says, if you have a, uh, something you want to change about yourself, don't do anything. If uh-huh. you have something you don't like about yourself and you want to change, don't do anything. Uh-huh. Just notice and then start to laugh at it uh-huh. and then start to actually love it. Mm-hmm. And then the grace comes and it's, and it's taken. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, you know, I, I do think that uh, this is, again, part of the sort of ongoing discussion I've been having with uh, people about this process. And um, awareness itself is a transforming power, sometimes, but not always. And I think we have to, I think that we are um, shortchanging ourselves if we limit ourselves to that. I think that's the starting point. It's the critical point. It's the one that we usually want to skip over and get to the, you know, the results and to stay with an experience um, and, and stay with the difficulty. Um, is, that's where the, 
the answers will come if your own house is in order, is how I, I think. But at some point, sometimes there is something that needs to be done. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it doesn't, if we are trying to figure it out, that's where we often get in our own way. So, I, I, you know, when you say the grace comes, I think that the, the grace sometimes is, oh, I need to, I need this. Or I'm, you know, there's something. I mean, what came up for me as I was thinking about this was uh, something that happened last uh, December when I was, I was in Mexico teaching on a Toltec journey. And I was the meditation teacher. I wasn't the Toltec teacher. But... Um, the, and the first exercise we did, we were at uh, this ancient pyramid site outside Mexico City, Teotihuacan. And uh, the first exercise we did was about what is it that we want to let go of. And what came up for me was I wanted to let go of my fear of depression because I had been sort of looking at how my fear of my feelings made them much worse and and I made this vow there in front of these people in this exercise that I'm not going to be afraid of my that feeling that feeling of sadness that blows up then into a story of depression and and can get pretty crippling and so it was it was mostly about awareness but because I have to be aware when it shows up and I have to not do anything when it shows up, you know, it isn't really an action, but at the, on the other hand, there's something very active about it, about really staying with those feelings and not running and not going to the story about them that feeds them and all of that. And that, that has been incredibly transforming for me. But that's sort of, I didn't give any examples when I said that this can be an inner experience. It can be about thoughts or noticing feelings and thoughts, but that's sort of an example of it um, that I, you know, I, I did want to kind of share. Cause, um, but, but obviously you know, there, was, there was a lot that went before that and there, there had to be a readiness for that to happen. Anyway, other thoughts? Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe one more, if there's something that's up for anyone. Laker fans are just like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. It's Northern California is kind of conflicted about their basketball teams. Rooting for a Southern California team. Well, so this is your homework. This is your homework. What you just did. What did you see? Is the, if something came up, and I don't know if something came up for everybody, if something came up that's like what I need to do this week, do it. Whether it's inner, outer, whether it means showing up for your meditation, whether it means calling somebody, whether it means writing something, whether it means watching an emotion and staying with it, whatever it is, that's your homework this week. So let's uh, do a little dedication in closing. Coming back into the body. Feeling where you are now in comparison to where you were at the beginning of the evening. You're two hours older, for one thing. 
and two hours closer to bed, hopefully. And again, realizing that whatever you do, whatever actions you take to change you, are really changing the world and helping the world. This change of our own consciousness is just part of the whole planetary consciousness. We as people in recovery and exploring Buddhism are part of something. And it's that something that's actually much more important than us as individuals. We are helping the human race to evolve, to grow, to move towards, to move towards peace, to move towards harmony with each other, with nature, To formally express that, we dedicate and offer whatever benefit, whatever merit came from this work tonight to the awakening of all beings. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be inspired by loving kindness, compassion, generosity and wisdom. Thank you all. And I will see you next week.